There is only Christ. Christ is everything. Christ is in everything. From the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 11. Hello, this is Rick, and welcome back to my sub-podcast, Christ Through the Elements. It's been a while since I've recorded, you know, the middle of August into September thing of starting school once again. It's kept me kind of busy, but I am back and plan to record more of these Element podcasts as well as some of the other podcasts that I record through this feed. And thank you for following this feed and listening to this podcast. So we left off the Universal Christ, which is the first part of the podcast. We follow that with a reflection on the next element as we go through the periodic table. And then in the last segment after the break, we wrap up and pull together, synthesize, if you will, what we learned about Christ and the element to see how that element itself reveals something about the nature of Christ. So we're reading through the book, The Universal Christ. I'm reading through it and taking notes and each section that I read, I'm, I'm correlating to the particular element at hand. So I'm not kind of skipping around, cherry picking and so forth. But the book is The Universal Christ, and that is written by one of my all-time spiritual heroes, Father Richard Rohr. And we're in chapter 9, which he entitles, Things at Their Depth. And on page 113, he says simply, God loves things by becoming them. We love God by continuing the same pattern. Now that sounds to me a little bit like a Zen koan or riddle, right? something that is paradoxical, something that is kind of mysterious in its nature. But I think what it is getting at is the incarnation. Because at the core of what Christians hold to be true, to be fundamental, to be foundational to everything, is that God, who is Trinity, three persons, the second person of the Trinity of God, the Christ, became incarnate, infleshed, human in Jesus of Nazareth. And Father Richard on page 17 says this about the incarnation. He says, the full mystery of the incarnation, on the other hand, points not just to things, but to the depths of things, the fullness of things, the soul of things, and what some have called angels of things. Now, I'm going to read how Father Richard quotes another thinker, to under explain what angels of things means in this context. But before that, I want to say a little quick note here is that angelos, which is the Greek that is used to describe uh, Gabriel and other encounters with heavenly beings, especially in the New Testament and the Gospels particularly, in Greek means messenger. It means one who brings a message, who conveys something. It's not about them, the angelos, but it is the message that they bring. And Father Richard on page 17, 117 also says, Walter Wink, very famous theologian, Protestant theologian, said, Walter Wink believed an angel is the inner spirit or soul of a thing. When we honor the angel or soul of a thing, we respect its inner spirit. And if we learn to pay attention to the soul of things, to see the angels of elements, animals, 
the earth, water, and skies, then we can work our way back through the great chain of being to the final link, whom many call God. Now, I want to just clarify here something. I, I think when he's saying angel or soul of things, I don't think he means a metaphysical soul in the same way that we talk about humans being body and soul. I think what he is talking about here is the fundamental foundational essence of an element, animals, earth, water, skies, etc., and how each of those points us back to the creator of all matter, of all being, which is the Christ. And Father Richard also adds one more little koan, little mystical statement that I'll share here before we move into the element. Father Richard on page 115 says, the best way out is if we have first gone in. The only way we can trust up is if we have gone down. So the way to understand God, to understand Christ, is to go into, to enter into the angels or the souls of God's creation, because each and every one of those reveals something about the creator, who is the Christ. Well, let's shift into the element at hand today, which is scandium. Number 21 on the periodic table, helpfully abbreviated SC. And for the element piece of these podcasts, I use the writings of Theodore Gray, who has a nice, succinct, compact, uh, lovely little book, really, called The Elements, a visual exploration of every known element. So they're his words that I use, his ideas, and his quotes. Now, I'm going to work backwards on Scandium here because um, he says at the very end of his little reflection that, quote, Scandium light is something millions see without ever hearing the name. Now, what's this all about and why am I starting with this? Well, I'll, I'll get back. I'll get to that in the third segment where we bring the first and the second pieces of this podcast together. But what Mr. Gray, Professor Gray, says is that metal halide lighting has scandium iodide to moderate and brighten high-efficiency lighting for places where bright light is needed. So halide lighting, which is what we see in parking lots and other places that are um, particularly uh, useful to have bright light, is scandium is a key part of that um, to make that light what it is. And I like what he says is that it's something that we see all the time scandium lighting, but we don't know the name of it, and we really have no idea about it. In part because scandium is a fairly rare metal. Uh, Theodore Gray, Mr. Gray says, the total world trade of scandium in pure metallic form is less than 100 pounds per year. 100 pounds, that's not very much. Even scandium oxide, which is a more common uh, compound, is only 10 tons per year. And he says that it's not expensive because it's rare per se. Some elements are very rare, but he says it's not highly concentrated anywhere. So it's hard to access. You don't find great loads of scandium um, out in nature. You got to find it in tiny, small amounts. But he says that even a small amount is an alloy with aluminum added to aluminum. He says it makes a very strong metal for fighter jets, baseball bats, and even bike frames. So if you have a high performance uh, bike frame or an aluminum baseball bat, you might have a little bit of scandium in there um, without even knowing it. So I ask you to stay 
with me through the break. We'll be right back after this short message to bring together the Christ and Scandium to see what we can learn about God. Well, thank you for staying with me through that break. You'll recall the beginning of the second part, I used the quote, Scandium light is something millions see without ever hearing the name because it is buried, so to speak, or a component of the type of lighting that we frequently see in parking lots and other places that exceptionally bright lights are useful. And I think the same is true of Christ. Because as Father Richard reminds us that God loves things by becoming them. And we love God by continuing the same pattern. And I think what the incarnation tells us is at the heart of everything created, everything matter and flesh and physical, and that is from the quantum level, the subatomic particles that make up each and every one of the elements that we are exploring here all the way up to the cosmos, the stars and the black holes and the nebulae and the constellations and everything in between at the heart of it, at its depth is Christ because the creator Christ infuses everything. The incarnation wasn't just Christ becoming human in Jesus of Nazareth, That was certainly a singular event and a pinnacle of God's creative process. But when God entered into into Jesus of Nazareth, becoming Jesus the Christ, God also transformed all of creation before Christ and after Christ. Because even from the beginning of creation, as we say in the creed, through Christ all things were made. So already Christ was making and creating and in the person of Jesus, God enters into God's own creation. So as Father Richard reminds us, if we look deeply, if we enter into essentially becoming creation or aspects of creation, and where is the best place to start, whereas really the only place to start is by becoming fully human, fully who God created us to be, fully our truest, most holy and whole self, then and there we can begin to experience the revelation of Christ and gain insight into who Christ is and who God, the Trinitarian God, is as well. So I encourage you to find something today, to find something that you can ponder, you can contemplate, maybe by looking at it and quieting your mind and maybe listening to it, maybe tasting it. It doesn't really matter. Any of the senses can be a conduit of the experience of matter. But I encourage you to find something today. Maybe it's not scandium light in a parking lot, but maybe it's something else that you see. And don't think about it intellectually, but ponder it experientially. And as you do, prayerfully ask God to show you through whatever that object is, whatever that matter is, 
whatever that piece of creation is, to show you and tell you and reveal to you something about God's own nature. And recalling that God's nature is love, God is love, we are told in the first letter of John that knowing that whatever that object, that piece, that slice, that aspect of creation is, it will reveal to you God and therefore God's love. God's love for you and me and all of creation, every single aspect of the web, the nebula, the cosmic and the subatomic aspects of creation. As always, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again soon, I promise, with the next element, which will be element number 22 on the periodic table. And as always, thanks for listening. May Christ's love and peace be with you always. Always.